Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spider. So first up, I hope everybody out there had a fantastic holiday and a safe holiday. We had a good one over here, nice and quiet, just the way we like it. So today we are going to be talking, well, a couple things. The first one we're going to talk about is the Aresis walking area. I've been getting a ton of folks asking for husbandry advice on them, which is great. I have had one for quite some time. I haven't spoken much about it because it was one of those things I hadn't prepared to get. It was actually given to me from Tom Patterson at Hardcore Arachnids, an order I placed almost two years ago. And at the time, I didn't know much about him. So I had to scramble, do some research, and try to raise this guy up the right way. And my thing is, I don't like to talk about the husbandry of something until I have adequate experience working with it. So for example, if I pick up a new sling or something I haven't kept before, I may show folks how I'm keeping it. I've done my research. This is what the research is telling me. This is how it's kept. But I don't like to speak with any measure of authority until it's grown up. That's my big thing. When they hit that, usually I like them to hit the young, young adult phase. But generally, if you get a big juvenile, you can say, all right, so far things are working pretty well because usually the slings... If something's going to die, if they're kept wrong, usually they're going to die during the sling stage. So it's very important to me to be able to say, all right, this is something I have some experience keeping. I've done this over a long period of time. And it was particularly important to me with the Ewok and Airy because of the fact that I never kept them before. And some of the information I received went against what I usually do with tarantulas. That's a tough thing, making that jump. And that might be a good future podcast, making the jump from tarantulas to keeping true spiders and mygelomorphs, there's some differences there. And there's some old habits die hard. I mean, we've spoken in the past about how many folks move into tarantulas from the reptile hobby and how many things they try to carry over because, hey, it works with reptiles, so therefore it should work with arachnids. And it's a total, obviously a totally different animal. It's apples and oranges. So that was important to me. It was important to me that I waited until I had some time under my belt. So this little guy grew up, went through several molts to be able to go, okay, this is what's working for me. So we're going to talk about that in a bit. And then at the end of this, we're going to go, I got a very interesting comment on the video I just posted on Ewok and Airy Care, a very well thought out, articulate comment that expressed some frustrations over particularly jumping spiders and velvet spiders and, and what they're kind of attracting. So we'll get into that because I think there's some really valid and interesting points in there that I'd kind of like to break down. So first off, Ewok and Airy, I received mine on 1-8-2022, January 8th, 2022. So going on, you know, obviously the anniversary of me receiving it, the two-year anniversary will be coming up in January. At that time, I had placed an order from Tom Patterson. And I've explained this story before, but I'll go through it again briefly. I bought a bunch of stuff legitimately, and he sent me a lot of freebies that I wasn't expecting. It was fantastic, don't get me wrong, but we got the package on a weeknight. I can't remember what exactly happened, but we didn't end up doing the unboxing video. I, I wanted to do an unboxing video for him. Tom's been doing business for years. I've been ordering from him for years, and I wanted to put one out there, and for some reason or other, we got home late, and we're doing this, and it was taking forever because I didn't just get tarantulas. I got a lot of true spiders, fast-moving spiders. There were several species of huntsman spiders, very tiny ones, and if anybody's seen my heteropoda species Thai cave spider rehousing when we first got those, it didn't go well because I underestimated the speed. So they weren't really spiders that you could do very quick rehousing with. So Billy and I spent like almost two hours between recording the different parts of the video, getting everybody rehoused. We were exhausted at the end, and so I made some mistakes during the video. I had some species that I wasn't familiar with, so I was trying to, on the fly, figure out. I confused a couple of them and then had to go back and kind of correct myself. It was just a debacle. The sound cut out on some of them. Not a good situation. So I never unfortunately ended up posting the video, which kind of stunk because I had a lot of stuff I wanted to show off. And since then, the majority of these, because they were true spiders, have since grown up and most of them have passed. However, the e-walking area was a wonderful surprise. I had shied away from them for quite some time. And for me, it's just, I was into tarantulas. I'm into the fast moving things. They looked cute, but what I was seeing is a lot of the people that were getting them were ones that weren't really into spiders and they were becoming kind of the official spider of TikTok, shall we say. There was a lot of people keeping them and I love anything that branches out 
and grabs more people. But it was kind of becoming like a fad. Like it just reminded me of when something becomes really popular for a short length of time and everybody's jumping all over it. And I just didn't have any interest at that time in getting them. We'll get more into this when we get into the listener comment or the viewer comment that I got later on because it really kind of jived with my feelings on them. But once I got it in, I'm like, all right, this is cool. I love getting something new and I love getting surprised now. Back in the day, I did not like being surprised. And if I got a freebie that I wasn't familiar with, I panicked because I spent so much time researching anything I purchased before I purchased it that it was stressful for me. It caused anxiety for me to get something in and go, oh gosh, I now have to figure out how to set this up quickly and hope I do it right. But nowadays, I know where to look. I know how to jump or really do research very quickly on most species. I have my go-to folks and this one was no exception. I was able to find some good information quickly, but I originally set it up in what was a smaller dram vial. I wasn't sure what to put in. Again, we're scrambling pitcher. It's late at night. We're scrambling. I had things set up. I had to set something up for this one. So it was a smaller dram vial. The ones are about three inches with about a 0.75 inch, one inch uh, diameter to them. I put some dry substrate in the bottom. A uh, little fake leaf, like a, it made like a little V, a little plastic leaves. And I originally had a little bit of dry sphagnum moss in there. Now, I use the word dry. This is what freaked me out about this spider and what I I struggled to, I won't say comprehend, but I was freaked out because when I did research on them, I found the, oh yeah, keep them like this and miss them. And a couple folks were like, no, no, you keep them bone dry. Now this thing was tiny when I got it, probably about an eighth of an inch. It wasn't much larger than the flightless fruit flies I had purchased right before this order to make sure I could feed all the little spiders I had. So I was really freaked out by the size of it. And the thought of not providing it any water freaked me the heck out. Because again, we're going to look back at, with tarantula, we have so many folks out there that I think erroneously don't give their tarantulas water dishes. And one of the reasons why is they say, well, they can get all the moisture they need from their prey. Now, these guys are survivalists. They can survive in a myriad of conditions, including bone dry, horrible conditions. And can they probably, the ones that are forced to rely on only their prey items for moisture? I'm sure they can. I mean, there's proof of it because some of these people keep them and they don't die. However, do they appreciate water? Yes, I've spoken before. Some of the spiders I see drink the most are the ones that are technically the arid species. Those are the ones that come out, drink off the size of the enclosure, drinking their water dishes. My G. Porteri, who wanted things bone dry, would often go out and get a drink of water. So in the back of my mind, reading that I have to keep this tiny little spider. Now, we're, we're trained to recognize that the vast majority of tarantula spiderlings out there require moist substrate to suddenly have one and go, you know what? We're not only going to give it dry substrate. We're not even going to give it a moist corner. We're not even going to mist. It's just going to be bone dry. That was tough for me and I was freaking out. But as I was doing research, I think I was on arachnoboards and a buddy of mine who's been doing YouTube videos for years and has a, a fantastic Instagram channel based in 79 came on. He's like, nope, I kept these bone dry, absolutely bone dry. And somebody's like, I like to miss them. Nope, bone dry. And I'm like, all right, if he's saying bone dry, he knows what he's talking about. That backs up everything else I've been reading on the bone dry side. I'm going to keep them bone dry. So that was a struggle for me at first. And that's one of the trials and tribulations of moving from keeping one species of animal, one type of animal to another, that you have to be very careful. You don't carry over the rules that are universal for one species to another. I wouldn't look at my dog. I mean, we talk about you know, the furry pets we keep, for example, I, one of the biggest issues people have to get into keeping tarantulas is they're used to keeping the mammals, the vertebrates, the ones that require fresh water at all times that have to be fed not just once a day, but sometimes twice a day. And they bring that in. They're like, all right, my my tarantula needs to be fed every single day. No, it doesn't. That's a tough thing to adjust to. And I think those of us who are actually in the exotics hobby suffer from the same predicament when we move into something else. So that was, I'm focusing on this because that was something that I really struggled with and why I didn't share a lot of information or even let people know I had this guy or gal at first because I was in the back of my mind afraid that it was going to die and it was going to be my fault. And I've mentioned before the story of when I first got my, back in the day, it was a Vicularia Versicolor. It's now Carabina Versicolor. And I had shared the story of how when I first got mine, I had been told by a couple people that I trusted, listen, ignore what you're reading out there that they have to be kept moist. Keep them dry with a water dish. Miss down the webbing if you want. Miss down the side of the enclosure at night, but keep things dry overall. And I got my little teeny tiny blue sling 
And I listened to them, but my God, the entire time I was convinced I was going to kill this spider off. I was amazed every time it molted and it was fine. And and little by little, I started believing this information. And that's not to say I didn't think they were right. It's just to say it was tough when you have the natural instinct and everything you're reading is saying you have to keep these guys moist. And then you got this, you know, one or two people. In one case, it was one guy that had bred them before. And he's like, listen, I know what you're thinking, but this is how I did it. And I'm like, I'm going to trust this guy. And I'm glad I did because I ended up raising one up right from the beginning with no issues at all. So it was along those lines with the Walken area. I was freaking out that I was going to do something wrong, hence why we're waiting so long for it. So the picked it up in January. Uh, oh, by the way, the common name of these guys, Velvet Spider, Greek Ladybird bird Spider. Forgot to mention that earlier. And they are wonderful. If you've seen pictures of them, they are adorable. And I think a lot of folks confuse them for jumping spiders at times. I've had folks go, yeah, I want the jumping spider. And then they talk about a Walkenary or an Arisa species. They're not jumping spiders. I think, again, it comes down to the fact that they're kind of the fad spider now, the spider that's attracting a lot of folks that normally wouldn't look at spiders, just like the jumping spiders, and folks get them confused. But I originally got mine, put it in the dram vial, bone-dry substrate, sphagnum moss, which it, I'm telling you, I wanted to moisten it so badly, but I didn't, and the little leaves. Now, I do want to mention, on Tom's website, he has care for these guys, and he talks about the velvet spider, and he actually recommends to start the spiderlings in a size 3 dram vial with nothing but crumpled up piece of paper towel to build a web on, and that's really great. I love hearing that from somebody who actually sells these and has probably bred them because that's, uh, I think a lot of times we get these guys, and again, this is going to go back to the whole TikTok, Facebook thing. We immediately want to set them up in something that looks cool. Sometimes you have to take into consideration the spider and what it's going to need to thrive. And I will say one of the issues I had with this little guy or gal to begin with is I set up in this enclosure and I could not find it. I There were so many times that months went by and I wasn't sure if the spider was even in there or not, which freaked me out. And I'm going to call myself out. At one point, I was pretty convinced it was dead because when these guys eat, Unlike tarantulas who grab the prey and they suck all the moisture, they devour it, they scrunch the whole thing up and they leave this little bolus, these guys basically leave behind a desiccated husk. So if you drop in, say, a tiny red runner roach, what's left behind just looks like a dead red runner roach. So it's tough if you drop it in and leave overnight to tell if the thing fed in the first place because sometimes it's in the same exact place where you dropped it and I would assume that nothing ate. So what ended up happening was one time I went up there, I'm shining the flashlight I saw what I thought might have been the spider dead. It ended up being a molt, but I took the little sprig of sphagnum moss out because the old molt was attached to it to try to see if the spider was in there. And I pulled it out, and fortunately, the spider was in there, and it was pretty aggravated because I pulled out the sphagnum moss. I saw it as I pulled the sphagnum moss out. It darted underneath the leaf. I'm like, okay, I didn't put the sphagnum moss back in. But reading what Tom put on his website makes all the sense in the world because the spiders are black when they're tiny and that would allow you to actually be able to spot the spider and see what's going on. So I wish I had done that because it would have saved me a lot of stress and I wouldn't have pulled this stuff out. So if you do want to do a natural, more naturalistic enclosure for it, that's what I did. I do plan on getting more of these and I'm going to follow Tom's advice on them and I'm going to set them up with the paper towels to start off. I think that's going to be the way to go just so I can monitor them better. So again, back when I bought them, it was before, I believe I picked these up before he opened up the website for Hardcore Arachnids. So at that point, I didn't even think, I probably should have just asked Tom, but I didn't even think about it. I was doing my research and everybody was saying to set them up this way, so this is what I did. So a couple different ways to set them up, but I fed this one. Now, When I first started out, I had bought flightless fruit flies, which I loathe, but I had picked up a lot of small species of the huntsman spiders that I needed these for. And I was dropping in the flightless fruit flies. I'd tap in a couple. And one time I did catch it eating. Most of the time it was very shy and I'd be sitting there shining a flashlight and trying to see where it was so it wouldn't come out and eat later on. I assumed it was eating because every once in a while it would molt. Now, good news is if you can't get flightless fruit flies for yours, they will scavenge feed. There was a point where I had no more flightless fruit flies. I had ordered some and unfortunately they had sent them to me. They got lost in the mail and they were all frozen and dead. By the time I got here, I was like, what am I going to do? And I was going to feed them red runner roaches, but my red runner roaches had actually gotten too big, or at least I thought, to drop in there. So I ended up doing the old cricket drumstick. 
And what I did was I took a pair of tweezers and I kind of stuck the drumstick right where I thought the entrance of its burrow was. And luckily for me, I was able to watch as the spider came out, grabbed the end of the drumstick and dragged the, it was the cutest little thing ever, dragged it right into its webbing in eight. So I'm like, all right, right there, I know that these guys will scavenge feed. So if you do get to a point where you get these guys and you're scrambling because you can't find the fruit flies, you can't find something you think is small enough, they will scavenge feed. Keep in mind, however, just like with tarantulas, that if you have a a say one eighth of an inch spider and that is I think 0.32 centimeters or so if you drop in a large juicy cricket leg it may fill up on that so just keep that in mind that if you drop in larger pre-killed paratums they will feed off that sometimes for 24 hours completely fill up and that'll be it um, in the case of mine, it did. It ate the leg. I dropped something else in. It didn't go for it. I was freaking out, but it was dead. Next thing I know it, it pops out. It's a little bit bigger. But these guys are what I think attracts a lot of people to them as far as true spiders are concerned is that they are rather long-lived for a true spider. So, for example, males can usually live three to even four years, although I've had some folks tell me that theirs matured out around the two, two-and-a-half-year mark. Again, it all depends on feeding schedule and the temperatures. Females, usually four to five-plus years. Somebody contacted me, told me theirs was over six years old when they had it. Again, has to do with probably temperatures and feeding schedule. I will tell you mine has been very, very slow growing, and that's one of the reasons why these guys are so long-lived. They take a while to reach maturity. Now, obviously, once the male reaches maturity, that's it. It'll go around. Most folks say that the males will be calm for a while and then start wandering around looking for a female. Females live a while after that. They mature out. But the another thing to recognize when you look these up, you'll see pictures of ones with these wonderful little bands around their abdomens. It's like an orangey-red coloration. Those are the males. The males get the bright colors. The females get a little larger and live longer. So for example, the average size of these guys is one and a half inches or 3.1 centimeters for a female. They can get a little bit bigger, closer to two, and males a little less than that. So if you see that orange starting the form, that's a boy. Now, good news, the boys are very pretty. Bad news, they're not going to live as long. Kind of like reminds me of if we're talking about tarantulas, Panthavidia species, where if you get a male, it's going to be one of the most gorgeous looking tarantulas you've ever seen, but obviously he's not going to live as long as the female that may eventually turn a more muted shade of brown or black or whatever. They just tend to be more earthy tones on the females, but she's going to live a lot longer. So one of those deals. So kind of you win either way. You get a female, she lives longer. You get a male, he looks pretty. But that's, I think, one of the things people get them and they don't recognize the fact that you're not going to have those bright colors if you get the lady. So if you're looking for a lady, it's going to be a little darker, but they're still adorable little spiders. Now, the E. Walkenary are a species of spider that does a lot of webbing. One of the reasons you put the sphagnum moss in there and the leaves, if you want, is because it gives them, they'll get into that sphagnum moss and they'll make a little burrow, start webbing in there, and they start webbing the whole bottom of this. So mine, when I went to rehouse it, had webbed up quite a bit, had several entrances and exits to its little web palace. It was a really kind of a, a beautiful little setup it had in there. Now, one thing that folks should be aware of, because it is a difference between tarantulas and this species, this is one of the things we want to kind of focus on during this husbandry guide, is the differences for folks who are used to giving tarantulas. With tarantulas, we talk about the boluses. They take the paratums, they break them all down, they scrunch them all up, they tear them apart with their fangs, and what's left is those little dry, boogery-looking boluses. With the walking area, as I mentioned before, they drain them and they leave what looks like a lifeless husk there. Now, you would think, all right, just like with tarantulas, I need to get in there with my tongs or my tweezers, remove them. Not the case with the e walking area. What I found is they will web them up into their actual web palace and they're very difficult to remove. So the couple times I went in there, I had tweezers. I tried to grab these things. I was pulling all the webbing out. I had to leave them in there. So when I went and did the rehousing, there were dozens of desiccated husks in that thing. There was nothing I could do with them. So heads up there, I would not try to clean them out. The good thing is they are so dry, There's and you're keeping the enclosure dry, there's no way for them to start molding or anything like that. They're harmless. So I, if there's one on the top, like say the spider does actually bring it up and drop it up top, yeah, you can go ahead and pluck it out. But what I found is they drag them into their burrow, and then they somehow web them in. So a lot of them weren't up top. They were webbed in the hole as I was breaking the webbing apart after doing the rehousing. I was finding so many of them actually just webbed into the 
silk that the spider had created its home with. There was just no way to get them out. So that heads up there, a little different than keeping tarantulas. Tarantulas, you always want to pull that stuff out, especially what usually happens with me is if I miss something, I add some water to it, I come back, and you can see it with a little bit moldy bolus in the corner, and then I pluck them out then. With these guys, I wouldn't worry about it so much, but it is one of those things that made me realize it was time to rehouse the spider when, A, the spider not only got a little large for the enclosure, but I wanted to get rid of some of those mummified husks that were in there. So something to keep in mind. Now, mine molted recently, about a week ago. I saw it out and about, and I noticed that there was a fresh molt in there. It was a pretty good-sized molt, and when I saw the spider out, I'm like, all right, it's probably ready for something bigger, and it was at the point where we're almost at the two-year mark, and I really wanted to talk about these guys because, again, they become super popular, and I get a lot of people asking for questions about how to raise them, how I keep them, if I have them, whatever. So here we are. What I ended up putting it into for its new enclosure is one of those acrylic ones that a lot of folks are making now. It's the ones that are two inches by two inches by about three inches tall. And I believe that's 5.08 by 5.08 by 7.62 centimeters. The ones with the little magnetic tops, which are good. I like them for the dry species that have to be kept dry. I'm not a huge fan of the ones that have to be kept moist because I've had a hard time. You have to be extra diligent keeping the moisture in there. Let's just say that. So I put one of those input probably eh, maybe three quarters of an inch of dry substrate. I use my own mix, which is peat, cocoa fiber with some shredded sphagnum moss, a little bit of sand down the bottom. Once again, some dry sphagnum moss around the side, couple leaves, and the rehousing went fairly well. I ended up, when I pulled the spider, the leaf that was in the original enclosure out, the whole thing came out with the webbing and some of the substrate and the leaf and the spider was in there so what I ended up doing is I dropped that in the spider actually came out and got into the new sphagnum moss and then I pulled out the leaf took and that's when I took some of the boluses or some of the uh, original prey remains out of the webbing and then dropped some of that back in so the spider would have some place to start its webbing from to anchor it to and when I did check on it later on that evening, the spider had gone right back to the spot it had already webbed and was webbing out from there. So I like doing that with the tarantulas. It seemed to work. He seemed to appreciate it. However, if I didn't drop that leaf in with the webbing on it, the spider would have been just fine on its own webbing. As a matter of fact, I had somebody comment that is from... Greece where they have these guys and he has kept them before and he says they just generally drop them in with something with a little dirt and nothing and it just webs on its own. I always like to give anchor points so this gave it something that was preformed anchor points so it could go ahead and expand its palace but this should be a good size enclosure for it. I did this morning drop in a small red runner roach which it immediately burst out of its web hide, grabbed it and dragged it back in. And one of the things I've seen with these guys is they will take down prey items larger than themselves. One of the times I went to feed mine when it was super tiny I dropped in what I thought was a an appropriately sized red runner roach and as soon as the roach hit the webbing I'm like oh gosh this thing is too big but no it wasn't too big despite being longer than the overall length of the spider the spider came out kind of tagged it and then ran right back to its its web and then the thing was moving a little bit you could see the kicking slowed down it went out tagged it again and this time it dragged it in so they'll go out they'll bite whatever's out there and then they'll kind of retreat to safety and then come out bite it again I've seen them do it up to three times and then drag them back in and start consuming them so Something there, heads up there, if you're feeding them, they, they are good hunters. They will take down things that are slightly larger than themselves. Now, as far as temperatures are concerned, as you folks probably all know if you've watched any of my videos or listened to my podcast at all, my temps here in the wintertime, well, in the wintertime, I usually keep the tarantula room at 73. We've been having a problem for the last couple of years where on the super cold days, I think what happens is the main house takes priority as far as heating is concerned so sometimes what happens the heat in the tarantula room won't keep up for a couple hours and the temperatures will drop I've had them drop the one time it happened really bad before I got another heat source for a backup when this happens it dropped down to like high 50s everybody was fine we had no issues with it I don't encourage folks to have drops down to the high 50s but this is just to explain that they can take those lower temperatures for smaller periods of time but usually the vast majority of the times it's 73 70 to 73 degrees up here and in the summertime the summer months it gets quite warm it's usually 80 to 85 degrees or so depending on the day so quite warm and out of those temps the growth rates have still been rather slow so you figure when I got it it was about an eighth of an inch it is now probably close to 
I want to say half an inch or so. I think half an inch would be appropriate. So it's, it hasn't put on a heck of a lot of size in that time period. But again, that's why these guys live so long because they're so slow growing. And it's because they're so easy to grow because they don't require extra moisture because you can drop them in with a piece of paper towel into a little jar and have them do just fine. I think that makes them very easy animals for folks to grow up who may not have a lot of experience growing up spiders. And I think this, again, has helped to bolster its popularity as kind of a gateway spider into keeping arachnids. You know, it's one thing to see somebody post something, this cute little spider. It's another thing to realize that they are almost bulletproof as far as husbandry is concerned, so it's going to be very easy for you to raise it up. I think more so they're obviously way more expensive than your average jumping spiders. Jumping spiders tend to be a little less expensive, but jumping spiders can be a little more finicky early on. These guys seem to be bulletproof for most people I talk to. The ones I have heard that have had trouble raising theirs, I've spoken to a couple people over the past several months that when they got theirs, they kept them like you would a tarantula sling, which is a very moist environment, and their spiders died. Now, does that mean that they can't take any moisture? And I want to point this out. No, it doesn't, because I will tell you in the summer months here, the humidity in the room, because of the humidity outside, we live in Connecticut, we can get some very, very humid weather, humid days, and this summer was particularly humid. They do fine with that. I haven't seen any issues, but I wouldn't want to add extra moisture in and risk it. There are some spiders that, for example, the sand spiders, if things get too humid, it can cause health issues. And I would guess that this is one of the spiders that if things get too swampy, there isn't enough airflow in there, you could end up with a dead spider. So just a heads up, I had had some people that chimed in after I posted this video that said, I actually kept mine mostly dry, but I've missed it every once in a while. I'm guessing if you miss it every once in a while, and we're not talking about daily or every couple of days, maybe once a week, a, a light mist, it probably wouldn't hurt the health of the spider. But I can share with you all that I did pick mine up in January where it's super cold, the heat's running, the air is as dry, although I run a humidifier, it can get much drier than it usually is during the summer months, and without any misting or moisture, mine did just fine. So just a heads up there. So I, I originally, I had reservations about getting one, and we're going to get into our listener or my, our viewer comment in a minute. And part of it was it was due to the fact that it was just a, it was a trendy spider. It was like everybody had to have the same thing with the the jumping spiders. It's almost been ruined for me when I got my jumping spiders. Like, oh, these are fun. These are really cool. I've never raised these before, and I like love to look for jumping spiders around my house now. But then they became so popular, and I get hit up at least two or three times a week. People thinking I'm Tom Patterson, going, "Hey, can I get some jumping spiders? I saw them on this video, and they're so cute, and I want some." And it just drives me nuts. So it kind of ruined them for me, and it was kind. Kind of the same thing with the Eresia species. They became the it spider, and I'm not one to jump on the trends. It's just, it, it's a defect in my way of thinking that if something's super popular, I, I want to raise awareness of something that's not popular that people are overlooking. I don't have time to spend on the ones that already have all the popularity out there, if that makes any sense. It's like, all right, obviously, words out on these guys. I want to pick a spider that somebody hasn't considered before. So that's what kept me away from them. And now that I have this one, I get it. I get why people like them. I love the spider. I am getting more only because I enjoy them and I want to keep more of them. I want to grow more of them up. But this leads us to our comment that we got from on the video. And it's funny because in the video, I mentioned the fact that I wasn't very interested in them at first. And this person almost seemed to kind of pick up on that and run with it. So here is the comment, and this is from Charlotte. Hey, Tom, awesome video as always. I'm not a fan of these or jumping spiders just for the simple reason that the people who keep them tend to be overwhelmingly obnoxious and anthropomorphized to the point of actually putting the animal in danger. Then attempt to carry these habits over to tarantulas. And by this, she's talking about excessive handling, inappropriate enclosures, overfeeding, and so, so many. My cutie is digging today. Has anyone seen this? Oh my God, my little darling is just so quirky post where the writer doesn't seem to recognize that shockingly spiders are spiders not trying to be an elitist and i'm sure there are some good ones out there but the influx of both jumping spiders and velvet spider keepers on tiktok and on facebook groups has become extremely exhausting and honestly turned me off from keeping these completely 
The anthropomorphization is somewhat more understandable with jumping spiders, as a few studies have shown that they do have a higher level of intelligence than we originally thought, and they are such visual animals who rely heavily on eyesight. Plus, those big eyes really are adorable. But carrying these behaviors and beliefs over to tarantulas can be extremely detrimental both to the care of the spiders and how we are perceived as a hobby. It makes us look insane, not like well-read, articulate, and educated individuals who, while we love and respect our tarantulas, tarantulas recognize their limitations as emotional creatures. Furthermore, many jumping spiders can thrive in pre-made enclosures featuring little witch houses with hard acrylic or resin sculptures that look like little cute dioramas. However, many of these enclosures are not only inappropriate for tarantulas, they are flat out dangerous. And as I said before, people who come into tarantulas after having kept jumping or velvet spiders don't necessarily understand that and will attempt to put their new and much larger pets in similar enclosures. I can't tell you how many Facebook posts I've seen with little fish tank sculptures and tarantula enclosures that are wildly inappropriate should the tarantula climb and fall, which is significantly more of a risk for tarantulas than it is for the aforementioned species. That said, I'm glad you're keeping them so that I can appreciate their beauty without having to associate myself with the stereotype of jumping spider velvet spider keepers. So, a lot to unpack here. Now, I'm sure there's people, I, I read this for, and here, if I'm going to be completely 100% honest, at the risk of offending people, I get 100% what she's saying. I always kind of fashion myself as the more intellectual side of spider keeping, and that's not to be elitist, it's just I've always tried to promote good husbandry, research, constantly trying to explain to people like, hey, don't just go by me, do some research, find out what's out there, and I get that. I also recognize that there is an entertainment side to this and that can, we've gone through, you know, YouTube, for example, the pros and cons of YouTubers. Yes. A lot of them don't know what the heck they're doing. Yes. A lot of them basically put stuff out there that's clickbaity to try to get more viewers because that's what it's about viewers and making money. But at the same time, they're drawing people to the hobby, which is a good thing. We've talked about this. There's good and bad. Sadly, and I think one of the problems that comes up is the, the folks that learn from the social media, they see somebody keeping these spiders with all of these little trinkets and things. And there's nothing wrong with, like Charlotte said here, there's nothing wrong with setting up one of these for a jumping spider at least and perhaps for a velvet spider a visually appealing diorama type enclosure because, again, they're not. it's not going to be a death trap. When the problem arises is when folks make that transition from, I'm keeping it, I get a lot of folks, you'd be amazed at how many people say, I got my first tarantula after keeping jumping spiders, after keeping velvet spiders. And they try to emulate that same care with it. And that's where the danger arises. And I think that bothers a lot of us because that comes down to lack of research. And she mentions in this, and I, di I just didn't want to read the entire letter, letter, but the second paragraph is about the fact that a lot of, a number of the people getting into the hobby do not do research and rely on others. And sadly, a lot of times it's people they shouldn't be relying on. It's the, the person on TikTok, the random person on TikTok that just picked one of these up, got a bunch of views on it. People are like, oh, this is great. And it wasn't set up right to begin with. Or the social media people or the YouTubers that are out there just kind of selling stuff and putting stuff out there because it's going to get them views. They're not necessarily the ones you'd like to go to for your husbandry information or recognize that that's a good place to start. I see this. I like this spider. I see how they're keeping it. Let me go out there and do some research and see how other people are keeping theirs and maybe find out that the majority of people that are actually into the hobby that deal with it in, in an intellectual way where they try to do their research, they take copious amounts of notes, they look up where they live, they talk to other keepers, recognize that they are doing something totally different. And I have seen, it was, when I read this, it struck home because A, I don't, as I mentioned before, I'm not on TikTok. I don't go on Facebook very much because a lot of the stuff I would see there would be frustrating for me and I have a hard time keeping my mouth shut. But I have recently, I was on, I jumped on Facebook for something and I saw some pictures of these enclosures that folks set up for tarantulas and they were so busy and filled with toys and like the exactly what she said with the 
aquarium decorations. There's brightly colored. I've seen people build Legos. Have you ever stepped on a Lego? Every parent out there is is now feeling the sympathy pains of when you've stepped on a jagged Lego. It hurts. Now imagine you have those jagged Lego buildings up there. A spider climbs and falls and hits out with his abdomen. It's dead. I've seen Legos used in it. I've seen sculpture, resin sculptures with pointy flags and things. All these things are not appropriate for spiders because people, I think, see them online because what looks better i post these up every time i post one of my videos up on youtube somebody will come on and go i don't understand why your enclosures are so boring you should check out these and it's somebody doing like hard dioramas or it's somebody doing legos or somebody with all this stuff in there and i have to try to explain to them that yeah i understand this youtuber's doing this or this tiktoker's doing this or this instagrammer's doing this and it's getting a lot of views but that's not necessarily an appropriate setup for the spider here is why and some of them listen to me and it's great and those that's why i do this i feel like i need to be the counter voice to that kind of stuff to go all right I understand where you're coming from. However, this is how those of us who actually know about these animals keep them. I enjoy doing that, but it's also frustrating because a lot of folks won't listen. A lot of folks will, well, I, you know, this person has this many views and been doing it for that long. And that's what they base the credibility of that information on how popular the person is. And sadly, there are a lot of folks out there that do this stuff that are doing it for the right reasons. They just aren't as popular because they're not putting that showy stuff out there. So I do get her frustration and the fact that I, I totally get why she's, she's ignoring them because this is kind of why I'm not keeping jumping spiders anymore. There's enough of them out there. People know how to keep them now. I've done my you know thing on them. I don't know if I actually did a husbandry on them. Maybe I will do a husbandry video on them for people who are looking for other information on them. But as far as the velvet spiders, that's why I shied away from them. They were just, it was one of these things that it was this little like viral sensation like, oh, everybody's got these cute little spiders. Now the anthropomorphization of them I get that to a degree, and I want to make that very clear because I'm sure there's going to be folks out there that are bristling at this, but I think, does everybody, I do some anthropomorphizing with my animals. I do a lot of anthropomorphizing with my dogs. For example, Billy caught me the other day having a conversation with Penny. He was sitting on the couch. It's just kind of a fun thing. It's, it's, I'm joking around. I recognize that, yes, and obviously dogs are different. We're going to get into that in a moment. But I recognize that when I'm asking my dog what movie they want me to put on, they have no idea what I'm talking about. But it's just kind of a fun way to engage a dog. And I love watching their little head tilts as they try to figure out what dad's saying. So I get that. I also do it, with the, if anybody has watched my videos, I talk to them. It's more for me. It's, it, I'm well aware of their cognitive limitations. I'm always open to new research showing that they're smarter than we think they are. But the idea that they have a emotions. I haven't bought into that at all yet. You're going to have to show me some hard data on it. The idea that they can understand my voice. I've had people tell me, oh, I can call mine it like a dog. and It'll come out. I don't believe that. I, I'm guessing they feel the vibrations. They've developed an association, a Pavlovian type association with the deep vibrations of somebody's voice usually means that there's prey around. So are they thinking, hey, here comes my owner calling me out? No. Are they sensing somewhere that, oh, there's those deep vibrations. Maybe someone's coming. Perhaps. I don't know. I'm not a scientist and I always make that very clear. Clear. But I think there's a fine line between the harmless anthropomorphizing and the stuff that you see. And again, that's one of the things that kind of turns me off to some of the, the velvet spiders and stuff where they treat them like they're human beings, like to the point where like they're marveling over these things they do and assigning humanistic traits to stuff that's really, it's a spider. At the end of the day, it's a spider. Now, if it's just them talking and doting on it and that's, they don't have any, I know folks that they aren't able to have dogs and cats and those kind of pets and they pour those and that love for animals into these, as long as they're keeping them correctly, I honestly don't care. I've had folks that it really bothers them to see this is if I look, if the person's calling their spider poofy poo and and they're, they've got a, you know, Hey, we're going to put a little drape over its house tonight so we can sleep, whatever it, they're, I don't know, whatever weird stuff they're doing. As long as the spider's kept correctly, I don't care. However, the handling stuff, that's become a big thing. These people, the big thing now, I get so many folks to go, why aren't you handling it? Because my spider gets nothing out of it because I work with spiders that will bite me and it will hurt and it will be in the hospital. I'm practicing good techniques. That's not, most of us are in the hobby, treat the, uh, the spiders like fish. And I tr use that analogy all the time because when you say it like that, you don't hear folks going, here's my little goldfish, Goldie, and let me take it out of its water, its, its container of water and hold it. They don't do that. And we shouldn't probably do that with spiders. Now, 
I don't get into the handling debate that much. I don't jump into it, but I do think that unfortunately she's got a very valid point that a lot of the folks that are seeing these videos and these YouTube clips and these TikTok clips where people are holding them and overhandling them, I do think that can become a problem when you get into tarantulas because I just had somebody the other day come on and go, hey, I just have a question for you. I keep jumping spiders and I handle them all the time. How come you're not handling your spiders? Don't you know they'll tame down? I'm like, oh my God, here we go. So I, again, always try to find the gray areas in these things. So is it cut and dry to me that this is a terrible thing? No. Is it, can, will I admit to being somewhat annoyed when I see my umpteenth Instagram video featuring a freaking velvet spider and how cute it is and look at it and it's got its little house and the, it, it gets a little, it's not my cup of tea. Let's put it that way. It's not my cup of tea. Do I fault people for being excited about them? No. Does it spread love for spiders? Does it spread love for an animal that most people would squish or try to light on fire if they saw it? Yes. And I love that aspect of it, but I do agree that I think a lot of us fight against the stereotype that all tarantula keepers are crazy, weird, or eccentric. And for those of us who aren't or try to fight that stereotype, it can it can be perturbing to see folks falling into that stereotype and perpetuating it. I can't tell you how many times folks ask me, do you let them run all over your body? Do you kiss them? Do you hug them? Do you let them run in your hair? Do you sleep with them? And they're half joking, half being serious. I can't tell you how many times I feel obligated to tell folks that I have four dogs, that those are the things I put my emotional energies, for lack of a better word, into. I hug my dogs. I love my dogs. I kiss my dogs. I cuddle with my dogs. Those are the things I try to explain them. I'm not nuts just because I like an animal that many folks are terrified of, I like an animal that I find incredibly fascinating, doesn't mean I've lost my mind and think that the spiders are looking at me when I come in the tarantula room going, here's Tom's big spiders, yay, I want to cuddle. I know they don't. And I try to explain that to people. So I get when folks see this type of stuff and it becomes frustrating. And I get that folks that spend a lot of time on these social media platforms that are bombarded by folks who are making this transition from keeping their jumping spider with a bunch of little bright, colorful decorations and they're all of a sudden they're doing it with their tarantulas because they did no research on it. I get the frustration there as well. Again, it's one of the reasons I avoid social media and just try to deal with the ones that come toward me through comments. Like if they solicit them, I'll answer, but I'm not wading into that stuff. I do understand how frustrating that can be. Uh, is it, should it turn you completely off to keeping a particular species of spider? Do I understand why it might turn you off? Yep, I totally understand it. But at the end of the day, it's happened. I've seen certain species of tarantulas that get super popular and everybody's showing them off. I, like I mentioned before that I, I, years ago, I did the M. Balfouri communal. And at that time, I was so proud to be able to track the whole thing through the first year, every month, the first year into the second year, show it off. And then it became the in thing to do. I have an M. Balfouri communal with 20 spiders. I have one with 50 spiders. I have one with 500 spiders in it. It got ridiculous. It annoyed me. It was, it took the fun out. Like I don't even bother usually showing mine off anymore because in the grand scheme of things, nobody cares. There's only five spiders in there. The only thing I got is the fact they've been together for like eight years now. But besides that, that was one of those things that kind of turned me off. So I get it. But let's be real, guys. Without social media and without the YouTubers, the pet tubers that are doing this stuff with the folks that are on Instagram, Facebook, that has created what the hobby is today in many ways. Bad, there's, you know, there's good and bad with everything. The good news is we have had more people brought into the hobby from these folks than ever before. Before this, when I got in the hobby, there was no real internet thing. You didn't find, you just found out because you went to a show and somebody had this weird spider you wanted to keep. Now there's so much out there. We are attracting more people. Now, as for the research part, yeah. And I think sadly, it's not going to get any better because as I like to say, people will people. These people see this stuff set up, not necessarily correctly. They emulate these people because they assume if you're on this social media platform and have these followers, it's correct. And they don't necessarily listen to other folks. Does everybody do that? No. And that's where Tom's Big Spider, that's the area Tom's Big Spiders thrives because I get those people coming to me going, I used to watch these people. Now I realize there's a whole nother world to this and people keep them totally differently that are really into them. And those are the people I love to talk to, the ones that, the converts, the ones that came in because they saw this YouTuber do it and then they got some spiders. They did their research and recognized there's better people to get information out there. There's better ways to get information out there. But if I'm going to be honest and I'm going to bring in 
in years of teaching. I'm going to bring in years of doing the Tom's Big Spider stuff. I, mean, I think we're going on a decade of this now. The majority of folks don't know how to do that critical thinking. They don't. They want stuff spoon fed. And this was the other point that Charlotte made that a lot of folks just go out there and they don't get. They don't do the research. They take information from people. They don't change it. That's going to be a problem as long as the hobby is around. It's not. I mentioned before that when I started Tom's Big Spiders, my hopes was it would be a place at least people could point to and go, there's your good information. And if, if you're not going to do the research, this guy's got the information for you. But the problem is I'm just a small fish in a very, very big pond and I'm not a very loud fish. So a lot of folks get that attention and it's not necessarily the way I would keep them, but that's what they're going to go to. And that's a problem. And that's just human nature. It's tough to do that type of research. It's tough to recognize what constitutes good research? I've mentioned before that I did an urban legends unit for my kids at school, and part of it was it was a reading unit to improve reading, but I also wanted to improve research and critical thinking skills. And the point of this was to have students recognize that just because they read something somewhere or somebody says it doesn't necessarily mean it's true, and to have those skills to be able to go, where can I go to find good information to either prove or disprove what I'm reading on social media. Because Urban Ledges, a lot of them now are spread through TikTok, Instagram, all that kind of stuff. And the kids don't recognize it just because it's on there. It doesn't necessarily mean it actually happened. And I will tell you that although I think I did well introducing these ideas and some of the kids really did a good job recognizing this. Some have told me and since then that, hey, I heard this on Instagram. And I looked it up and found out. I went to that source you told us and found out it's not true. And then a lot of them, it, it didn't change much. There's, they still struggle with that. So I think people in general, unfortunately, and I get, and one of the things Charlotte mentions, the fact that with a hobby that involves living creatures, research is a must. Good research is a must. And in an ideal, in an ideal world, anybody that was keeping these would do their research and would keep these correctly. But unfortunately, it's not an ideal world. And to be realistic... I don't know, one out of 10 might do it right. I mean, these people that come in from seeing these negative examples of how to keep them, maybe two out of 10, I don't know. I don't know what the exact number is, but I can tell you from just the interactions I've had with people, it's a small percentage of the ones that are actually getting into it. The rest of them do not want to change their ways. You can see this when somebody does something wrong that has like a YouTube channel and people try to call them out on it and say, hey, the reason why your spider died is because there was no water in there. And all these people, instead of going, oh man, you're right, he wasn't keeping correctly, respond with things like, well, they know what they're doing. They've been doing this for years and they've been on YouTube for years. And there it is. So it's a dilemma. Is it ever going to change? No. Is it a problem we have in the hobby? Yes. I wrestled day in and day out with the whole conundrum of social media, the good points, the bad points of it. Yeah, we bring people in. Yeah, at the same time, we tell them terrible ways to keep things and, and give bad examples. We have folks playing with them and not respecting them in the way they should be respected because they're treating them like you know a furry little animal instead of a spider. I totally get it, but I think that's where our responsibility and what I'm trying to do here and what I like others to do, and I know it's frustrating, is to combat that, is to be those voices of reason that can go out there and politely, it, it can't be, hey, you're an idiot, your cage is a death trap. It, it's always when you're teaching, you can't lose the person by insulting them, but be, be able to politely go out there and go, hey, you know what? I see what you're doing there. I know what you've probably seen. However, for those of us who are serious in the hobby, this is what we've learned. This is how you want to keep them. Not just turn a blind eye to it. And I'm sure people are going to be like, why aren't you on Facebook doing that? Because I don't have the time. Honestly, that's one of the reasons I had to stay off of Facebook because I would feel inclined to jump in on these things and try to be the voice of reason that's not yelling at them and berating them to try to be the one to tell them that, hey, you know what? I know everybody here is like, oh, well, you lose some things, but I'm noticing some issues with your care that probably led to the death. I just don't have the time for it. But for those of you that are out there that have the energy, we need you. We need you to be able to combat that. We need, there's always going to be that TikTok famous animal out there. And it's, you know, right now it's the velvet spiders. It's the jumping spiders. I get it. I cringe every time I see one of those things pop up because like, oh my gosh, it's not what the hobby's about, but in a way it is what the hobby's about because this is where people discover these animals and by anthropomorphizing them, yes, if the care is bad, bad thing, but by anthropomorphizing them, you are drawing more people in to actually look at them other than loathsome creatures. So there's good, there's bad, there's, I wrestle with social media, I get it, Charlotte, if you're hearing this, I'll probably go and drop something on the, the comments so you know that I responded to it through this. 
believe me, your comment resonated with me. And I find myself sometimes when I get tired of doing this stuff, feeling very similar. Like I said, I didn't pick up the Velvet Spiders because I got sick of hearing about the Velvet Spiders and seeing them pop up every time I opened up Instagram. But on the other hand, we need to keep the hobby growing to get people in there to hopefully start looking for that good information. It does serve a purpose. So for folks out there that have done videos like this, I'm not insulting you, believe me. I, I don't want this to come across like I'm coming down. I, I get, It's just not in my mindset. I get I have a lot of students. My kids would probably be doing something like, look at this little thing. I get it. And again, you're doing. there's some good coming out of it. But I do understand the, the dark side of it, the bad side of it, the fact that we do perpetuate the fact that these guys are more than just spiders sometimes. We do perpetuate bad husbandry uh, techniques that follow us over into tarantulas. Bottom line, anybody making the move, and what I tried to illustrate at the beginning of this video is the fact that if you keep one animal for some time, it's very easy to bring those things that work for that animal over to a new animal that you think is similar. So I talked about bringing over things from tarantulas into keeping the Wakanari that not don't necessarily make for good husbandry. I get that. And that's where the research comes in. But I do get that a lot of folks struggle with the research. I'm sure there are people out there and I do not. If you're one of those people, God bless you. I want to be a spot people can come to that don't necessarily have the skills or the energy. It's tough researching. I want them to know that they can trust me, even if they don't go out and find other sources, which I always encourage people to do, if that makes any sense. So, Charlotte, I get what you're saying 100%. Definitely resonates with me. I go through the same frustrations. If I ever find myself going so deeply down that I can't even stand to look at some of these species anymore because I'm sick of hearing about them, it'll be time for me to walk away and complain about kids being on my grass or something like that. I get it, but I think that's why it's more important than ever for those of us that are listening to my podcast, listening to my stuff, doing their own YouTube videos, doing their own podcasts, getting information out there that we are the ones that it's going to be our responsibility to try to rope in as many of these people as possible and show them where they're doing wrong or maybe they could do better. I think that's important. So again, amazing. I love stuff like this that I have to try to wrap my brain around yes, I'm not a fan of it, but here's the good side and here's the bad. It's it's tough and I hope it made some semblance of sense. I hope some folks will chime in with their experiences encountering this type of information when they run into this stuff online, when you see the tarantula enclosure that's filled with sharp objects and it's a 10-gallon tank and there's a little terrestrial in it. How do you deal with it? Hopefully you deal with it with tact. I, I think the problem I have on some of these groups is that when folks feel ganged up on, they tend to tune out. And when things are delivered in an overly negative manner where it sounds like you're chastising the person, they tend to tune out. And it's tough because we see this stuff day in and day out. For those of you on social media, you see it daily, probably hourly, and it gets difficult. All I can say is if it's one of those deals where you're struggling with it, then maybe it's time to step away and just let somebody else handle it. But Yep, it's it's out there. It's it's social media and the animals. There's it, and it goes beyond the tarantula hobby. I've spoken to people that are in other hobbies to say it's the same thing with the social media, the pet tubers and the animal TikTokers or whatever they're called. It can be very exploitive. It can be a, a very set a ne very negative precedence for folks that are just discovering these animals. But we got to look at the good side. It's bringing folks in. Now it's the educated folks out there. It's our responsibility. It's our job. It's our responsibility. The hobby to make sure we get that information out there, get these people to the right places. So that will do it for this one. Uh, again, thanks, for, Charlotte, for the comment, and it gave me a lot to think about. I'll be curious to hear how people respond back. I'd, I'd love to hear other folks' thoughts. I know I've spoken to other people that feel the same way. I've had this conversation with a couple close hobby friends of mine where this stuff drives them nuts, but it can be a tough thing to talk about because when you bring it up or try to bring up anybody as, as far as an example of it, the fans can be nasty. It's tough. But I would be curious to hear, what are your thoughts on this, guys? What Has anybody else seen something like this? Where Has anybody else recognized the trend with the velvet spiders and the jumping spiders and how sometimes annoying it could be with people so obsessive about it? How about the anthropomorphization of these animals? What do you think? I'd love to hear some input. I'd love to revisit this next episode. I don't want this to just be my voice or Charlotte's voice. I want to hear from other folks out there. Good, bad, what do you got? 
That will do it for this one. As always, you can find me on YouTube. I just post up the Walking Area video without all this commentary. You can find me on timespeaksplayers.com. You can find me on Spotify. Leave a comment. I will definitely be looking if I get enough good quality comments of people talking about this. I'd love to get a little debate going because I do think it's something worth talking about in the hobby. And I think it's something worth talking about in a safe place where we're not going to immediately get jumped on by people that are fanboying or fangirling and just defending somebody not recognizing that person in that moment in time may not deserve being defended. Guys, hope you had a great holiday. Hope you have a great week. Stay safe, and we'll catch you all next time.